Hi everybody, Rob from the Hooked On podcast, How To Be Great here. Look, we enjoy doing what we do, for the love of it, it's wrestling, enjoy it, remember? But if you do feel like dropping us a few quid to help us out, be our guest. We don't expect it, but we will appreciate it. Thanks ever so much for your support. Don't forget, it's wrestling, enjoy it. to the Hooked On podcast, coming to you on the opening days of the brand new era of our new Prime Minister, Jeremy Corbyn. Hello and welcome to the Hooked On podcast, coming to you in the new days of the second term of our strong and stable Prime Minister, Theresa May. To be honest, guys, we're recording this uh, while everyone's voting. We don't know who's going to win and we'll just uh, we'll hedge our bets. In fact, sod it. Let's try a third one. Hello and welcome to the Hooked On podcast in this unsteady era where the Prime Ministership has been left anonymous and there's going to be a party leaders battle royal a week on Sunday. We can't wait. Anyway, let's, uh, enough of that nonsense about the election. Let's talk wrestling. And you can probably hear some noise in the background. We've got a, a correspondent in the field waiting to speak to us. I'm looking forward to getting him on. But first, as is protocol, I have to bring on me, uh, my vice president, my old running mate, my number two, the George Osborne to my... Oh, no, he's not He's not even uh, Chancellor anymore, is he? The, uh, the Philip Hammond to my Theresa May. Paul Benson, how you doing, Paul? Hello, mate. How are you doing? I, um, I'm not sure you uh, compare to Theresa May, mate. I'm uh, certainly... Certainly you're a little bit more honest, but I haven't seen you be able to gurn quite like she can, so you're well behind on those. And, and you don't want to get me in a field a week, mate, because I'm gluten-free. But anyway, let's go over to our, our minister for DJing. For there should be a minister for DJing. It's our uh, wonderful friend, Stevie Cox. How are you doing, Steve? Hello, how's it going, guys? Sorry about all the noise. That, no, listen, that is perfectly okay. I came in right from the start and said we've got someone out in the field. Quite literally, tell us where you are. Um, well, I'm at the Download Festival. I'm, I'm camping in the uh, entertainer's campsite um, behind the doghouse stage, and I'm waiting for the festivities to kick off because I'm working down here and, uh, yeah, just trying to have a good time. We've all spent some time in the doghouse in our uh, in our years, I'm sure, but uh, you're there, again, being quite literal this evening. Um, we are recording this on, uh, on Thursday evening. Download, of course, uh, gets underway Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And uh, normally we wouldn't necessarily be talking about a music festival, but a couple of people happen to be going to, for Paul is going as well. Um, but this is like the wrestling festival these days, isn't it? There was Progress a few years ago, did some wrestling there. NXT have dipped their toe in the water before, and they're back again this year doing some wrestling. Even uh, the wrestlers' band, Chris Jericho's band, Fozzy, are at download once again. So it's, uh, it's quite the wrestling uh, occurrence. And of course, if you don't know Steve, uh, Steve is our house DJ at our Hooked On parties in London. Loves his music, loves his wrestling. This must be heaven for you, sir. I have a plane going over at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that, was, that a, was that a plane? That sounds like, sounds like a TL Hopper promo to me. But, uh, <laughs> that is not loud, and I do apologise. <laughs> do you know what? Any, any other show... Any other show we would uh, we would cut that out, but no, we're we're down and dirty in true festival style. I was saying, Steve, 
Uh, it's, uh, it's music and it's wrestling this weekend. You could not be more in your element, I imagine. Well, I can't wait. Um, I'm DJing, like I said, um, DJing Friday night and Saturday night in the big house tent. That's going to be amazing. And I've got three full days of NXT. They've got um, early shows and late shows here this weekend and like lots of signing and other events going on. And, of course, there's a few band playing as well. Um, some friends of mine will be on stage with Fozzie. Um, they are called called Ninferno, so you can probably guess what they'll be up to mm-hmm. um, and yeah just the whole weekend should be a lot of laughs uh, Paul you're, uh, you're on, on your way down there as well you must be looking forward to, uh, to uh, enjoying yourself as well yes mate I'm heading down on Saturday morning with uh, Vic Ram from our team as well so there's going to be a mini hooked on reunion down there so yeah like Steve I'm going to spend most of my time in the NXT 10 I am not a metal fan by any stretch of the imagination but you've got to see these things haven't you you only live once yes indeed um, speaking of uh, going to NXT you went uh, you went uh, last night as we're speaking Wednesday night in uh, in Leeds how was that that's right yep yeah, it was really good I enjoyed it a lot um, obviously as you can probably imagine it was a step down from the first NXT tour of the UK in terms of stars on there but that's not to say it was bad by any stretch some really great fresh stars on there, some good matches, and I especially. It was, it was a McIntyre against Bobby Roode. Now I've been saying all day it felt like a real wrestling match between two wrestlers wrestling, if that makes any sense. And it was absolutely wonderful. No, it does. It does absolutely. And um, I think um, uh, I think this tour was always going to be slightly different. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? In terms of uh, how it was going to how it was going to pan out but I'm glad you still had a good time because the uh, the difficult second album is a, is a real thing in life not just in music so uh, for them to have followed up well uh, is a good thing and um, we'll talk about it a little bit more later on um, Steve have you been if, assuming that you know the, the, the download vibe and you know what the, the kind of people that are around does wrestling fit in quite well with the uh, the vibe and the ethos at that type of festival oh, absolutely I mean metal and wrestling has gone together as long as I don't know fish and chips um, I've seen so many people already today um, with wrestling shirts on. I've seen an Enzo Amore shirt. I've seen um, lots of shirts representing the British guys. Um, so, yeah, I mean, rock and wrestling, it sort of goes together, like I said. Indeed, going right back to the uh, the earliest days of the WrestleMania era, of course. Yeah, rock and wrestling. Um, we're going to get um, we're going to go in quite early onto our um, uh, onto our latest venture uh, these days on uh, Hooked on Wrestling. What I mean by that is our feature, the best of times, the worst of times, and this is kind of an extreme show. Extreme is the kind of word you might associate with with metal and with wrestling. And we're going to talk some extreme rules later. But first of all, we're going to talk some Team Extreme, the Hardy Boys, uh, who made their big comeback to WWE at WrestleMania. They've had a title reign. They've lost it again this week. Um, lots of talk about whether they're going to come back with the uh, the broken brilliance um, uh, theme. Um, but for now, we're going to talk a bit about their uh, their career in general, and we're going to get on to uh, talking about some of their best matches. We uh, Paul will um, offer up a choice, as will I. Steve will choose what goes into a sort of fictional time capsule of the very best match for the Hardy Boys. But before we talk individual matches, um, Steve, H- Hardy Boys fan. Uh, yeah, I've, I've always loved the Hardy Boys um, since they sort of came in when they were uh, one point they were part of the Brood. One point they had um, I've forgotten his name, but one of the Free Birds, Michael yeah, Hayes, Michael Hayes. Was, um, at one point. And uh, you know, on from there, when they became Team Extreme with uh, Lita, 
And yes, Lita is my, um, well, she's the love of my life, to be honest with you, but uh, sadly never happened. Um, still time, so, yeah, mate. You never know. Been... Sorry? There's still time. You never know. Yeah, well, there's still time and we're very nearly the same age, so it's all good. Um, but yeah, they've, they've always been pretty cool. They've always been pretty good. And they've, they've had such a good surrounding cast around them sort of their entire careers, you know, from the APA to the Radicals to the Dudley Boys to Edging Christian. It's, you know, they've been absolutely fantastic for such a long time. So, you know, it's amazing to think how long they've been about, actually. It really is, because, yeah, it's, a, it's basically about 20 years, isn't it? I think it's probably about, in terms of being featured, even longer before that, where they were doing some um, sort of dark matches and enhancement matches. I think as a featured act, I think we're talking um, probably early 99, maybe late 98, I think. So, uh, yeah, not far off of uh, a 20-year run for uh, for the boys there. Um for you, Paul, um, I know I was sat very, very close to you. In fact, in earshot as you uh, jumped up and down at the uh, at the moment where the Hardys made their return at WrestleMania. You were uh, you loved um, that um, you loved that moment, didn't you, mate? Yeah. <laughs> It, it was definitely the biggest pop we've had at the parties, and you know, you, it's testament to how popular those guys are as an act um, that they got that. You know, they haven't been on screen for an awful long time in WWE, but they're still absolutely beloved. Very interesting to see how they were received if it weren't for the run they've had in TNA recently with the broken stuff. I really think that amped up their value to the crowd massively. But you know, I was always a big Hardy Boys fan back in the day. You know, Attitude Era and all that. I think Steve made a great point about the, surround, the, the supporting cast. Though. I think Hardy Boys in a vacuum are very, very good. But I think it was, it was the, the amalgamation of those really those three teams, Edge and Christian, the Dudley Boys, with absolute perfect chemistry between the three teams that sort of made that group greater than the sum of its parts. And I'm not saying that they didn't play their part in that. They absolutely did. But I don't think without those two other teams that have quite hit the heights, they did. I agree with that. I, I put them in a similar sort of bracket to um, Rob Van Dam, I've always referred to as being the cottage cheese of wrestling. He needs something to go with him to make it um, you know, part of a meal. There's certain wrestlers, you know, like Bret Hart is one that jumps to my mind immediately. And there are lots of others that can have matches with ordinary opponents and make them seem good. Van Dam is someone that is quite good, but has always needed someone to be with him to to really make that match. I think he struggles with others, and I think the Hardys are a little bit similar, but um, are probably a little bit of a, a notch above that. I think uh, when it comes to it. Right, let's play the game. The best of times, the worst of times. I am going to offer up. It's my go first, isn't it, Paul? It is indeed. Okay, so I am going to offer up my uh, choice of what I think is the best Hardys match that's out there. Um, we put a little rule in place just for as a one-off this week that um, no matches. Uh, of more than four wrestlers so it had to be an ordinary tag match we can have gimmicks but no triple threats because too obvious to go and pick a TLC match a ladder match um, that kind of thing with the, with the Christians and the, with the Edge of Christian and the Dudleys I will say though I'm trying to compete against the uh, the metal mayhem in the background here as well it feels very authentic um, but uh, yes I, I'm going to seven okay <laughs> Uh, I'm going to choose um, from uh, a pay-per-view that we've already been to recently. In fact, I think it was last week we went to this pay-per-view in terms of a, a match uh, choice. It's uh, from Royal Rumble 2000. Uh, I'm going to go with the Hardy Boys versus the Dudley Boys in a tables match. Um, 
it's a slightly different tables match to normal in the sense that I'm not certain if it wasn't the first one that we really saw on WWE television. There'd been some in ECW before that, of course, but this is the first one certainly I can remember a WWE pay-per-view. We didn't really know what the gimmick was. It was something that the Dudleys had really introduced to WWE. Um, on this occasion, because these gimmick things change all the time, but on this occasion, um, the rule was that you had to put uh, each man of a team through a table, but consecutively. So if someone else got put through, it kind of cancelled out the first one. But they explained it well, and it made sense. There was some uh, some great moments in it, including, I recall, um, I think I think it was Devon walking on the outside, and Jeff Hardy coming flying in from out from into the ring to out of it. But the camera didn't pick up his arrival; it just picked picked him up crashing through a table. Um, a real amazing um, visual. Um, the reason I'm picking this, I'm not. Te- I don't tend to be into heavy gimmicks and plunder, but there was a bit of sense to this. They they booked it in a logical way around the, the Dudley's gimmick at the time. Didn't just chuck out a table stipulation for no reason, and it was wrestled reasonably safely, as much as you can do with the way that uh, that Jeff would fl- fling himself around. So um, cool, um, cool visuals all around. Cool visual with Jeff coming off the uh, the big ladder through for the Swanton uh, for the win, as I recall. Um, so I'm going Hardys versus Dudley's Raw Rumble 2000. Paul, your rebuttal, sir. Okay. Well, first of all, I'm surprised and pleased you've gone with that. To be honest, I was all ready to come in and say that I was picking a match from the same pay-per-view as I picked last week um, in the, the aforementioned table match, which was an excellent match. I was preparing to make an argument on that because I assumed you would go for the match that I'm going to pick, which I think is quite clearly the best Hardy Boys match. Um, it's the No Mercy ladder match from just a few months prior, so back in 1999. Um, it was the, the match, the Hardys against the uh, against the duo of Edge and Christian. Uh, it was the first ever tag team ladder match, and it was the final of the super prestigious Terry Invitational Tournament. Oh, yes. Uh, tit, for short. No pun intended, I'm sure. Um, again, it was... It was very. It's very easy to to sort of take ladder matches and table matches and and all these stunt matches for granted nowadays. But you know, you mentioned the first ever table ladder uh, table match in WWE. This was the first ever tag team ladder match. We'd never seen it before. Ladder matches we'd seen previously were very much of the sort of Shawn Michaels, Razor Ramon variety, which were completely different to what we've had since. This match really invented the modern day um, sort of stunt match, TLC match, if you like. And it was between two teams who were right on the cusp of becoming great, becoming great in one night through a superb match that was completely unique at the time. The spots were literally unlike anything we'd ever seen before. It was amazingly well wrestled. Um, with a, the finish was so heated, these fans were, you know, this remember this best of seven series was pretty low on the totem pole when it started, but by the time we got to this, the end of this match, the fans were absolutely rabid and they'd fallen in love. It made it made four guys in one night, and it was arguably the match of the year for 1999, and I think inarguably the Hardy Boys' best ever match. Uh, they obviously led to to them. Um, to, to the brood breaking up with Gangrel leaving Edge and Christian um, uh, sorry no left the Hardy Boys actually my mistake he was with the Hardy Boys at that point the Hardys were actually heels going into this match um, Edge and Christian being the faces so you know, if you're going to watch one Hardy Boys match that's not one of the threat C matches I absolutely urge you to make it No Mercy 1999 the ladder match I've warned you before about using the word inarguably during what is ostensibly an <laughs> argument um, but uh, he says inarguably 
Um, we will find out what uh, Steve's opinion is in the, in a wee while. But uh, before we do, um, any matches that you feel that we've left out, Steve? Is there some other Hardys ones that jump to your mind that you feel that uh, could have been in the discussion? Uh, to be honest with you, you've kind of picked my favourite two matches, <laughs> which is really strange because I was just trying to work out what kind of matches I'd pick up if you guys didn't pick them up. And... Uh, you picked up both the ones I was going to go for. So. Okay, okay. Well, that's good news. Well, before we uh, give you your choice, um, we a, a small extra feature of this section is the uh, is the worst of times where we talk about not necessarily um, bad um, performances from the individuals because pretty pretty much across the board we're talking about the elite here, so they wouldn't have had too many bad performances. But often um, opponents gimmicks thrust upon them um, are things we can talk about, and I think the first thing. Um, to me that jumps out Steve in, in terms of the Hardys as then most negative things is that they've tried several times in different companies to wrestle one another and it never seems to come off from, from what I can tell what do you think? No I completely agree but there's something very large about to fly over my head so give me one second I'm sure you can hear that at home we're going to have to do less, less podcasts from flight paths, I think, is the... Uh... Yeah, just like... um, that, that could be Jeff Hardy about to jump off the wing of that plane, but <laughs> it could be... Um, yeah, I mean, they haven't really ever sort of meshed with each other as opponents. I mean, they're, they're just better working together. Um, and I always remember thinking sort of Jeff had the absolute ability to become like the next big star in the WWE if it wasn't the fact that he just couldn't keep it together um, whether it was backstage whether it was drugs or whatever it's, it's all been documented but he had so many problems um, Matt on the other hand I, I thought he had a really good run as a singles guy but he kind of got dragged down by his brother and it just kind of it just disintegrated really badly and they just couldn't get it together when they were coming back um so they just bounced around and didn't really do anything with them and shipped them off to TNA and to the independents. It feels, Paul, that if you were to get the best bits of each guy, you'd brew yourself pretty much the greatest wrestler of all time because with you know, Jeff's personality and his, his way of doing high-flying moves and the way he connects with crowds, always has done, you know, it's just it's so precious in wrestling. And then if you put with it Matt's mind, you know, Matt has such a creative mind in terms of coming up with you know all the things that you've seen that the mattitude and the broken stuff and you know all the all the, the partnership with MVP and and so many other things Matt Hardy will never die and they're all out of his own brain I don't think there's been too many times where you know creatives come up with a brilliant storyline I think Matt's gone out and done it himself but he's never really had that same natural charisma and you know a link with the fans there have been times where the fans have been very much uh, pro Matt Hardy but not as consistently as Jeff if you brewed the two you'd get something very special I, I think you're right and I think it's a fascinating dynamic between the two brothers it really is because like you say Matt clearly is the workhorse um, right. in terms of being passionate about wrestling being the one to think about wrestling and really plan his career and his individual match and storylines through <laughs> a certain amount of success based on the back of that but then his brother who absolutely clearly is not doesn't have the passion or the drive or the creative mind for it like his brother does. He just comes completely naturally. He's like he's like that annoying friend who you know can just pick up a guitar and bash out a few tunes to woo the ladies without ever playing it before, or you know, pick up any sport that he wants to, and you just fucking so frustrated because, <laughs> because you have tried for years to do exactly what he's picked up in ten minutes, and I, I imagine it must frustrate Matt no end. Um, because clearly wrestling is his life 
um, and his brother has sort of superseded him in every way as a singles wrestler um, without really giving a monkeys and I, I, I'd be very interested to see what that's done to their relationship and their psyche um, but you know in terms of low points for the career I'm, as, as a tag team I'm genuinely struggling to think of any low points um, there's one you know, I suppose you could say when they were um, used as cannon fodder for Brock Lesnar they were basically jobbers to get Brock Lesnar over in his first couple of months in the WWE that wasn't so great uh, and they've been you know, knocked around a few times but nothing for any great length of time they've always been there or thereabouts at the top of the card when you take them apart and separate them there's been quite a few low points obviously Jeff's um, indiscretions in TNA weren't weren't amazing uh, you know Matt has had numerous low points um, on and off with celebrating stuff with TNA were abysmal in every way um, but and then on the flip side they've obviously had periods of great individual success so the, the Jeff as the world title um, holder and contender in WWE Matt Hardy is Matt Hardy version one in the early 2000s which I absolutely adored um, so yeah you know talk about the worst of times we don't like to talk about off screen stuff do we we try and keep it straight on screen as a team I'm struggling a bit with that yeah definitely I think yeah quickly brushing over it but um, you know that, that era where they were both without a, a company really and you know there was a horrible video I remember from them in a diner basically pilled up and having a go at CM Punk and it was very you know unseemly and you know hopefully that they've got through that era in their life and you know certainly it's good to see them back on the big stage where they deserve to be hopefully they are clean sober uh, and thinking straight um, so uh, all the best to them and hopefully we'll see them for a nice strong run in WWE um, broken or otherwise um, and you know with some you know some backing and some you know a genuine position and not just a, a sort of a vaguely nine month nostalgia run that the Dudleys had I think we'd like to see a little bit more out of the, uh, the Duds than that but uh, right I think it's decision time Stevie C you've got to um, make a decision on the uh, the Hardy Boys match will you choose Paul's Edge and Christian ladder match or will you choose my Dudleys table match you pretty much knew you were going to get one of those two teams you pretty much knew that you were going to get one of those two gimmicks but it's uh, it's the it's the L versus the T as it were Indeed. Um, yeah, again, probably my three favourite tag teams in the world ever. Um, but I'm going to have to go with the ladder match, I'm afraid. I'm going to go with Paul. Um, it was just, as Paul said, so innovative. Um, it was just something... It wasn't new because we've seen ladder matches before, but what they were doing with those ladders just blew you away. Absolutely fantastic match. Absolutely brilliant at its time. The table match was also incredibly good. Um but, you know, I've got to go with a ladder one. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, um, you know, I'll, I'll take it in good grace. Um, well, I sort of will, because I'm just checking the um, the hooked on rule book, which says that um, if Paul is um, if Paul's match is selected, then it's all fine. Uh, but it is null and void if he does a really shit late 90s whoop um, at the end of it. I think I caught a, a double whoop, in fact, which um, I think even Richard Blackwood thought that was terrible. So, um, double whoop. Yeah, so um, you know, behave yourself. Um, if I will make, if you do that again, I will make you close one of these podcasts by singing one, two, three, four, get with the wicked, and that will be your pun. <laughs> that will be your punishment. They never thought you'd hear that on a wrestling podcast, did you? Everyone else is doing, spending their days working hard on the go. I'm down with the wicked and Richard Blackwood. Me, that's, the, that's the era yeah. I live in. Um, okay, I'll, I will um, live with your uh, decision there, Steve. Um, I think it's the wrong one, clearly, but uh, I, I do respect that those two matches were probably. Uh, 
Uh, at the lead in uh, in terms of the Hardys canon, and uh, I think it was should have been two then one rather than one then two, but there we go. Um, before we let you go and um, get on with your, your, your plane spotting and your scratching and whatever it else else is you're doing, um, did you uh, did you get a chance to see Extreme Rules last weekend? Uh, yes, I did. Um, I thought it was a pretty good show overall. Um, uh, what did I really enjoy? My brain is um, completely frozen up, and I can't even remember any of the matches right now, which oh, is a bit weird. That's terrific. Um, <laughs> let's uh, well, uh, maybe start with the um, uh, just uh, just the Hardy Boys match in, in itself, since we're talking some Hardys, and then we'll uh, yeah. we'll let you go, and uh, Paul and I'll have a chat about the um, about the, the show itself. The, Hard- the Hardys in the cage with uh, Sheamus and Cesaro. What did you think? I was really hoping um, there was a point where you had Jeff on the outside trying to pull Matt out. You had um, Sheamus and Cesaro on the inside. They were trying to pull him back in. I was really hoping at that point he was going to take a massive bump. And then the next night on Raw, you'd have him come out and just go, delete, 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 and be broken. Um, But unfortunately, um, I thought it was a really good match. Um, Quite cleverly done. Um, the rules were a little bit strange until they sort of repeated them about 20 times in about two minutes you know they both got to go at the same time both got to go at the same time both got to go at the same time but no it was alright it was, it, was, it was a really good match I thought I thought they put everything into it and uh, yeah I like Seamus and Cesaro so yeah I'm glad they won just to just to round it off then so you're um, you're a fan of the delete you'd like to see them come uh, come back with uh, with that gimmick in tow do you think WWE will be able to um, to pull it off because that felt to me as if that was Matt and Jeff with a bit of Jeremy Borash when they were in TNA and it wasn't really booked for them there's no way they'd be able to get away with doing their own stuff in, in WWE so do you think it's a um, uh, do you think it's a given that it's going to happen and will WWE be able to look after it? it it's kind of hard to stop it really because there's still a lot of fans out there who follow Matt when he does the delete sign um, and you sort of hear him in the background whether they properly go that way or not it's it's just really hard to say um, WWE don't seem to be interested um, but I'm sure the Hardys would be interested and if they did it it would be a marketing goldmine um, whether they call it something else or whether they keep it the way it is I'm sure we'll see something like that at some point well, at least I hope we will because otherwise the Hardys will get very very stale I've never been particularly a fan of the delete stuff, as people on this podcast will know, but um, I'm always to the point where I want them to do it just so they do it and get on with it. It's a little bit like the Undertaker-Sting match that people talked about for years and years and years that I never thought was going to be a good idea, but it was like, let's just do it and get it over with so people will stop talking about it. We never did, so we still have the, oh, what if Undertaker wrestled Sting? I'll tell you, it would have been awful, but there you go. That's another, another, dis- another discussion entirely. Um, Steve, enjoy your weekend. It sounds like absolute heaven for you, so I'm, uh, I'm not envious necessarily of the um, of me being there myself but I am envious that uh, it's you with your um, two loves combining this weekend so I'm sure you'll have a, an excellent time well, I'm having a wonderful time as it goes I'm, I'm drinking myself another Bud Light hello sponsor um, and you know hopefully uh, I won't be too falling over and drunky in the morning and I'll be sensible this evening but who knows actually that's a good point we haven't done we, there was a regular fair feature on this where we uh, discuss exactly what we're drinking so I'll just um, oh there's just another uh, opening of my beautiful Peroni Nastro Zero gluten free which is a regular here Paul what are you on this evening? 
I'm on the uh, the old favourite, mate, the red wine. Unfortunately, it's a bit of a cheapo bottle, but beggars can't be choosers, eh? Yeah, yeah like you're a beggar. Um, <laughs> okay, Steve, the next time I see you, we'll probably be at, um, at SummerSlam, and uh, I'm sure we'll uh, have a wonderful time at the uh, the Hooked On parties as ever, but uh, enjoy your weekend and enjoy tolerating uh, showbiz Paul Benson, who will be descending on you very soon. There is another plane going over. Um, do I not have another task to do? Oh, yes, good point. Crikey, I'm getting out of uh, I'm getting out of my sink here. Well done, mate. Um, yes, you need to give us a you need to give us a a name for next time. We need to, who are we going to discuss next time uh, on the podcast? Um, a little heads up to everyone: the um, the the schedule might go off a little bit over the next couple of weeks. Where both Paul and I are taking holidays at uh, roughly the same time, it might be quite hard for us to to coincide the recordings. So uh, stay tuned on that. But the next time we do this feature, we will be talking about the person that Steve is about to present for us now. Okay, right. Well, if there's a Mount Rushmore of wrestling, this guy is going to be on it. He's one of my favourite performers of all time, and I'm going to do a really bad impression of him now. Oh yeah, dig it, the Macho Man Randy Savage. Oh yeah. How's that? Uh, who? Uh, Jim Duggan. Yeah, that's it. Jim yeah, Duggan. Yeah, Jim Duggan. Brilliant. Savage. Um, one of my favourite performers of all time. Um, I think. Um, I love this little thing you're doing with the time capsule, the wrestling time capsule, but we've had tag teams and we've had someone slightly unusual. So I think it's time to go back to someone who's a genuine superstar. And for me, you know, he's, he's up there on my Mount Rushmore, like I said. That's a strong and stable choice, Steve. <laughs> do you know what? I think it could be a whole show. I think we could maybe do a whole show on Macho Man. It could be a, a bit of a savage special um, coming up on the... Uh, on the podcast uh, in the near future. That's uh, it's an excellent choice. We've had some, uh, I think we've had some rocky weeks just lately with um, Luger and Vader were a little bit out of mine and Paul's ballpark. And we came back with uh, a bit of Mick Foley last week. And then the tag team is always a different thing. So Macho Man is an excellent decision. So we're going to go from extreme to machismo from one week to another. And after a false finish, I now will say uh, cheerio to Steve and uh, thank you for that choice. Thank you for being uh, a wonderful part of the Hooked On team. I'll see you at SummerSlam, mate. You will indeed, and I'm looking forward to it as I always do. Get down there and have fun. <laughs> a fine message indeed, sir. Thank you there to uh, Steve. Apologise to anyone that was uh, struggling a little bit with the uh, the noise in the background. It wasn't quite as uh, as perfect as we'd have liked, but um, I hope you understand that uh, Steve was, as we said several times, down and dirty right in the uh, in the heart of download there. And uh, if anyone is going to download this weekend and you bump into uh, Steve or to Paul, do go up and say hello. I think Paul, that's fine, isn't it? Uh, yes, absolutely. If you see either of us, if you recognise us. Um, hell, if anyone recognises, we'll buy him a bloody beer. Oh, well, do you know what? I nearly said that. I nearly said Benson will buy you a pint, and I thought, actually, I don't want to jinx him, but uh, he's happy to do it. So, yeah, go and say hello. We'll um, post pictures of him all over the internet so you know exactly who it is. Um, uh, well, I've, in fact, I've often seen you um, in, your, um, in your wrestling attendance as a, with a Macho Man t-shirt and a blazer on. Are you going to be in a similar garb? It's, it's the Macho Man we're talking about next week, after all, or next time, anyway. So. I am not, because I wore my Macho Man t-shirt to NXT last night. Oh, yeah, I've okay. bought myself some proper rock t-shirts, mate, so I'll, 
I, so I look like I fit the part, you know. I've bought myself a Slipknot T-shirt. <laughs> Sorry, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard. And you... I bought Guns N' Roses T-shirt. Well, yeah. Guns, Guns N' Roses are okay. You 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 can't do slip. You can't pull off Slipknot. <laughs> I'm totally wearing it, mate. Even if you were a Boy Scout and you'd got all your badges, you could not pull off Slipknot. It's not uh, not not happening. Um, let's go back to wrestling. Let's go back to Extreme Rules, indeed. Um, uh, we've talked a little bit about the Hardy Seamus match. I, I want to kind of go a little bit um, linear through it. We're not typically in the uh, in in the process of in in the game of breaking down pay per views on on this podcast. But and I am also perfectly aware that our raison d'être is it's wrestling. Enjoy it. But oh my God, this show frustrated the hell out of me. And I'm not normally one for picking up on things, but to me there were so many irritating little details that could have been missed out and could have been done better because I don't think it was a terrible show in terms of its work in fact I don't think there were really any bad matches in terms of the effort that people put in but just as a fan it was one of those shows I watched and I thought if I was watching this with a non-wrestling fan or someone trying to introduce it to them they would just be going I don't understand what's happening um, in fact in fact, no, we'll save the main event for last because I did enjoy the main event and I want us to end on a positive I don't want us to end on whinging um, but I'll, before I start getting into some of my particular moans and groans, let's start with your overall take of it, because I think you were quite more high on the show than me. Um, right, well, first of all, like I was just um, saying to you off-air, it was the first pay-per-view outside no, 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 of... No, no, you, you didn't say anything to me off-air, because we had a smooth transition uh, between Steve so. going and us talking now. I definitely didn't do an edit in between, so carry on. No, no, of course not. I'm, I'm talking the, uh, the telepathic bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course, of course. Um, yeah, outside of our parties, it's the first pay-per-view I've watched in a long time where I've been unspoiled. I, through my new work regime, I can now happily put the pay-per-view on while I'm working away at my computer at nine o'clock on a Monday morning. So I did that. So I think that helps in that you don't know what's going to happen. It really does sort of um, give a bit more excitement to it. It's so, good point. That. Good point. Yeah, so I really, I, I actually went in with fairly low expectations. I wouldn't say it was brilliant because it wasn't. He had a few highlights. Um, I thought overall it was an average pay-per-view, but you know it was fine. It was fine. It entertained me. Um, I really, I won't get ahead of myself, but I enjoyed the main event immensely. Um, and you know there was, like I say, highlights on the on and the rest of the card to make me think it was worth watching. It wasn't perfect. There was a lot of low lights as well, but I'm sure we'll get into those in due course too. <laughs> I think we will. Um, just on a broad stroke, first of all, I think it's. We may have talked about this before on the podcast, but I think that it's a it's a difficult era for these shows. Not only are they on the network rather than the pay per views, but also the the frequency in which they come. Sometimes when it's not a, a big show, as laid down by either the credentials of history or in terms of how they build it, you know, this very much felt like a not even a B, but maybe even a C show. You sort of felt that this could have been it'd been okay with this one being two hours like an old in your house knock it out yeah. in a couple of hours sort of thing yeah. but because Raw is three hours you almost feel that the big shows can't be any less than three or you know because otherwise it's just like a, a short episode of Raw maybe Smackdown ones could get away with it because it's a two hour show but I don't know but I just felt that there were some things on this show which um, in some ways it's good because there's some people that got to wrestle on the pay-per-view or you know main show whatever the pay-per-views are necessarily termed these days um, but it was good for them to be on those big events, I suppose. But I did feel like there was a lot of... I'm, I'm sitting through a lot of things here, you know, before I get to the main event. Um, let's take it broadly chronologically. Um, I'm sure we'll have some tangents as we go. Um, it started with The Miz versus Ambrose, um, which was on an Extreme Rules show, therefore 
basically no disqualification rules throughout. The first mm. match was if this guy gets disqualified, he loses the title. So the whole point was to not get disqualified in a night where there should be no disqualification. Already my head is hurting. I sort of understand the idea of it that it's a kind of in the spirit of Mick Foley's anti-hardcore, you know, um, promos which were in a hardcore environment. This almost felt like this was Miz trying to be the subversion. I kind of get that, but to me, that annoyed me before we went in. And then having watched it, I just felt Miz was the better wrestler, the better performer, the um, the more charismatic. He did the more high flying stuff. He was nicking Daniel Bryan's move set, but they weren't really. Um, you know, having a go at him for it. He was nailing it all rather than missing it. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, he outsmarted the baby face and won the title. And I just think, why would anyone ever watch Dean Ambrose ever again? That's what I came out with. I mean, I love the Miz, so I thought it was a you know, good way of going in terms of who, who won the match. But that's just... Ambrose is dead, isn't he? Um, I think Ambrose has been dead for a significant amount of time, to be honest, mate. I think... Um... I think what really started to decline was the the Brock Lesnar squash at WrestleMania last right. year. I thought he was put in a position to really succeed there. He had some momentum, and he just got run over. Um, obviously, after that, he did win the um, the world title subsequently and was the number one draft pick. But you know, he, he had that terrible feud with Jericho, culminating that in all that awful. What was the name of that match? I can't remember what it was. The Ar- Ambrose Asylum match or whatever it was. It was comfortably the worst proper upper mid-card main event match of 2016 by a margin um, and I don't think he's ever really recovered um, and it's a shame because he's such a talented performer but you know in, in fairly typical WWE style his character has gone from unhinged sort of psychotic to being wacky with a capital W um, and it's just I just don't get it at all I think I think he's being criminally misused I, th- I think we've seen him peak uh, unless they do something drastic with him so yeah I agree you know I think Ambrose came out of it uh, sorry uh, The Miz came out of it looking great looking very smart both in kayfabe and and, and very talented um, in, in real life um, I expected it to be a quite standard DQ ending for, for The Miz so I thought they did well to sort of subvert that a little bit um, and have the have the, the, the pin Um so yeah, I thought it was a very good match. Um, very one-sided. I think the Miz is doing excellent work right now, and he deserves that belt. He makes it so much more prestigious than anybody else that's running around with it. I think it really works around his waist. Um, hopefully, we get the one rematch with Ambrose, and then and then knock that on the head, and he can go on to face, you know, Finn Balor or someone like that. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think um, definitely credit to the Miz. He's had a he's had his best year, you know, best year or eighteen months of his career. I think. And bearing in mind this is someone yeah. who's main evented WrestleMania. Um, you know, and he had a he had a good title run as a, as a you know as a as a heel, but I think it said more about the the lack of depth in the roster at that point as opposed to his talent. He's I think he's a far, he's far better now than he was then, and I'm not necessarily saying that he should be in title contention again because I don't really think that's his role. But I think where he is right now, this this guy could be with the company forever. Um, he he speaks their language. He's a good-looking guy. He's very intelligent. He's a great talker. So he can be a GM one day, he can be a commentator one day, um, he can be a, a representative of, of the WWE on, on chat shows, all sorts of things. Um, you know, if you're sat at home as a wrestler 
um, and you're not one that's going to necessarily want to you know, suffer for your art and I'm not blaming people for this but some people would rather be having five star matches in Ring of Honor in front of 1100 people than they would be opening pay-per-views for WWE for more money that's cool I'm not having a go at that at all but if you want to be a good wrestler a solid hand make a lot of money very securely for a long long time be the Miz be that guy because yeah. he and I'm not that is not a knock on anybody I don't want to there are lots of ways of earning a living in the wrestling business um but the Miz's way is the modern WWE way. They will love you if you are that kind of guy. You know, he never lets them down. Um, and like I say, he presents himself terrifically. I think he's got a really, really big career in the future as a possibly a manager and as a and as a broadcaster. I don't think he's going to be the second coming of Bobby Heenan, but I, I do think there's a there's a real place for him. I think he's wonderful and to be honest mate I think we could have a podcast just dedicated to The Miz and maybe we should in the future but I read a really interesting sort of point about The Miz you know in his career who else in, in the past has not just come from a point of being a bit of a joke because when he first started he was the, the, the reality TV star host of Smackdown and he built himself up through hard work and talent to be taken extremely seriously to world title con- contention and it wasn't, you know, a Jinder Mahal situation when he won that title. He was on a good, solid run as a heel when he won that. Yes, he was. Uh, how many people have had that conversion from a joke to a legitimate main event heel twice in their career? He's done it twice. He's reinvented himself twice. And I just think that's so impressive. The addition of Maurice to the act was what put that over the edge for me. Yeah, I agree. Um, I agree. So- she, is, she is very, very good. She's the expert. She's the expert, and you know, I think maybe it's maybe going a, maybe doing him a slight disservice. But before she came along, the Miz was this douchey idiot, but he had no one to reflect off. You know, yeah. if you think about it, his best times as a heel have been when he's had a foil, be it Alex Riley or yeah. be it Miz Dow. When he's been on yeah, his own, yeah, John Morrison, yeah, John Morrison, exactly, yeah. When he's been on his own, he kind of just looks like a fool because he's kind of talking, you know, talking to thin air. You put him a mirror or someone to bounce off, and he comes across as a, a lot more of a legitimate character. And I think she's helping no end with that. Here, here. I think because when you've got, I mean, there is a theory, isn't there? Have you ever heard the, you know, the theory about, you know, Dusty Rhodes when Dusty came into WWE and was was given, you know, Miss Sapphire, you yeah. know, and, and without any been nasty to Miss Sapphire who's no longer with us but Miss Sapphire was not your archetypical valet gorgeous valet but you know a slightly you know roly-poly woman who was a little bit older but then so was Dusty well no she was let's face it but I like it it's just a nice way of saying it mate it's good okay well so was Dusty and it kind of fit but Vince's idea is that Dusty would not be going out with someone gorgeous because A Dusty isn't gorgeous and B you would hate him for it and this is the thing is that not only is you know you go look at Miz and go oh he's nowhere near as good as this guy and he winds me up and he lies about being a Hollywood star oh I hate him I want him to lose this match and then this absolute stunner comes out with him and by the way the act that she plays she clearly loves him now I know that she does in real life and they're married and whatever but the way that she does it on TV she is just absolutely besotted with him yeah and it's it's that's really helpful it's not just she's not just some bird like she really loves him and would do anything for him and, and that really works and she's yeah. great in her own right I mean I thought she in that Nikki Bella stuff I thought she was oh so oh, fu- so funny incredible. that was so well pitched I've always been a Maurice fan uh, frankly and shallow because she's absolutely stunning yeah she is um, 
but but she's very talented with it. There's plenty of stunning women in the wrestling business exactly. that have got no talent. Exactly. She's really grown into that and shown me something special in this run in the company. So I'm so I was I was always slightly baffled that she was on the outs for as long as she was. I couldn't really work it out. I think she left. Through. To be fair, I think I don't think it was really on the outs. I think she left, didn't she? And I think it was on. I think it was on reasonable terms. I think it's just obviously they've come to a decision to bring her back. But I th- my understanding was it was generally on her terms rather than theirs. Yeah, well, either way, I thought it was a strange one because she didn't seem to be doing anything other than taking selfies at beach clubs. Um, not that I follow her intently every day on Instagram or anything like that. Um, <coughs> but um, she, anyway, anyway, she she came back and it made so much sense for all parties. I think it's a I think it's a brilliant pairing. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree indeed. Um, let's move on. Now we turn that into something positive. I thought it was just going to be a complete Winjarama, but uh, that was a bit of a positive. Um, the next one's not a big negative either, because it was a perfectly good little, you know, six minute. It was a raw match, let's face it. But Rich Swan and um, Sasha versus Noam Dar and Alicia Fox. Um, nothing wrong with the match. Um, Swan is kind of the token babyface win on a night of heel victories um, in his hometown. But that was kind of cool. I was a bit disappointed for Noam, who I think is really good, but it was it's not going to kill his career because he lost a six-minute match on the second show or second match on Extreme Rules. Um, but my my annoyance here is that by the time this is finished and the ring announcements are going for match three, we're 40 minutes into a pay-per-view about Extreme Rules, and there's been no Extreme Rules matches. <laughs> the first two matches were not Extreme Rules matches, and it's like now I know we can complain like if there's a lockdown or something, and all the matches are cage matches, and you think, oh my god, it's overkill. But the whole bloody point of Extreme Rules is that everything is meant to be no DQ, and here we are with a mixed tag, but it's just like. I'm not saying they ought to have made it in DQ, but it just they didn't really address it. I just thought it was a bit strange. But um, nothing wrong with the match per se. Um, I, you know what? I'd be lying if I said I had an opinion on this match. I only half paid attention to it. Um, I agree, it was just a complete filler match just to get that get the hours up really on the pay per view. Shame that Sasha's not doing anything more meaningful because it really is nothing other than making up the numbers um, in a mixed tag match. Um, yeah, not a lot to say. I'm a big Rich Swan fan generally. Not so much Noam Dar. I think he, he has a real tendency to be lazy. I don't think he's anything like as good as he was at the start of his career. I think he's, um, I think he just again I've, I've, I've used his phrase twice now, but I think he phones it in an awful lot of the time. Um, and you know this was no exception. So yeah, not not much to say unfortunately on this one, mate. Unfortunately. Okay, that's okay. We'll move on. Um, I'm sure there'll be plenty on this one. Um, Bailey versus Alexa Bliss. Kendo <laughs> stick on a pole. First of all, when you've got two women, you know, of the nature of the two that you have, where the kendo stick comes from, I have no idea, other than just being an arbitrary. Maybe that's out of Bruce Pritchard's box of gimmicks to try and decide what the weapon was going to be. Um, I think just be thankful it wasn't some sort of, you know, I don't know, nail file on a pole or something. But, um,. I hated this match. I really, really hated it. And from and it's not the fault of either of the girls, both of whom I think are terrific in certain ways. First of all, the pole gimmick is so passe, it's unbelievable. As soon as anyone says a, a pole match, you just go, huh, fire Russo. So just by its... You know, it, you could even call it some... Don't call it on a pole. Find another way of them getting the weapon. You know, have it, you know, with a a guard at ringside or something that you've got to go and you know shake hands with I don't know just something that's not on a pole um, that was a terrible idea of mine but you know just something that's not on a pole that's the first thing secondly they spent ages and ages and ages and ages on commentary the commentary was lousy all night by the way um, but the, the 
they spent ages on commentary saying the idea of the poll is that the first person that gets to the weapon gets to use it. The first person that gets to the weapon gets to use it. That's why you want to be the first person to get it, because the first person can use it. Well, they booked the first person, a baby face mind, to get to the weapon, look like an idiot with it, and then get knocked over by the heel, who proceeded to beat the shit out of her with it, and win. And it's like, well, first of all, your baby face looks like a massive moron for not knowing what to do with a stick. But secondly, don't tell us that only the first person to get the stick can use it, and then have the second person with the stick use it. I know they can't be disqualified, but just explain that there's a stick there for both of them to use. I was so angry with all this, because they, don't, they basically told me the wrong rules, and then when the rules happened, everyone just went, oh, doesn't matter. And then secondly, you have built Bailey up over time, over time, over time, over time, you know, to at least have some fight. That's what she's got. She's not a great wrestler, by the way, Bailey. She's okay. But she's nowhere near as good a wrestler as Sasha or Charlotte or Becky or several of the other ones. She's not. I don't care what anyone says. She's not. But she's a great character. A great sympathetic baby face. She's done a wonderful job. And she can hang in there. And this just... What's the point? It's the same as the Ambrose thing. What is the point of having any sympathy for them? If you just go, well, you're in an ODQ match. And you didn't use a stick. You're an idiot. And it's, it's a terrible use of her. I don't mind them having her have the conflict of, but book a, you know, should I use this? But book a normal match and have the ref down and have her pick the stick up and not want to win by foul means and then have Alexa use it. But actually, here's the thing, Bailey doesn't mind winning by foul means because two months ago she won the sodding title with Sasha interfering for her and she laughed about it. So there's no consistency over anything. And it drives me up the wall. Oh, I'm going to breathe now and let you talk. <laughs> well, mate, I uh, maybe not as impassioned as you, but you know, I've I've got a lot of mixed feelings on this one. Um, I, I'll start by saying I, I really like the premise of the feud, um, and that premise being can Bailey pull out a mean streak enough to do what she needs to do to win in an Extreme Rules match? I think that's a very sound, very good. Uh, premise to build a match and a story for a pure babyface like I'm Bailey. I'm happy with that. Yeah. Unfortunately, the uh, as you've pointed out, the uh, the execution was just dreadful. So you know, first of all, you've got a really poor match. Secondly, it was a squash. What did Bailey get? Maybe two meaningful moves in the whole match? No, a total squash. She got one sort of belly at the back on the outside, didn't she? Which gave her the the time to go and get the stick. But apart yeah. from that, no. After as soon as Alexa got the stick, good night Vienna. Yeah, exactly. She's. Um, She's ruined. They've ruined. I know, and I, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying anything I didn't already predict. I, I, I just had a feeling that Bailey would be a bust. I just didn't think they could use his character on the main roster, and I'm being proved right. Yep. Um, I, everything you said about the match in terms of the internal logic was was bang on. It was a problem throughout the night, actually, with inconsistent rules. There's a few. Oh, ma- we're gonna get worse. Yeah, yeah, we are. Yeah, we are. Um, and I, and I, I just thought. It didn't really achieve much in the end. I like the idea, but you know we all know Alexa Bliss is outstanding. And who'd have thought it? Of all the NXT women that came up, Alexa Bliss is comfortably, in my eyes, the best. I know you, I know you put that vote behind Charlotte, and I, I do like Charlotte a lot. But I think Alexa Bliss is something else. No, I, I, I think I'd agree with you now. I, I mean, I, I really, really like. I think Charlotte's your long term. Yes. I think she's the one that's going to, you know, five, six, seven years. If she decides to continue, I can see Charlotte. You know. You know, because she came into wrestling reasonably late. She's not young. She's not old, but she's not young, and she's come into it quite late in in life. And 
you know, learnt it, but is it the same, you know, does she have the same passion? I don't imagine her wrestling into her 50s and 60s like her old man. I think there could be, you know, and here's the thing, this is going to sound terrifically sexist, but there is a different timescale in wrestling for a woman because if you want to go away and have a family, you cannot continue in the same way. Now, we've seen Mickey come back, obviously, and how you can still have a career, but if you decide you want to go away and have a baby, that's a, that's a year or 18 months out of your out of your career. And WWE aren't always big fans of that kind of thing. So it might be that Charlotte gives it a couple of years and goes, do you know what, that's me, I'm happy now, I've made a few quid, I can do some appearances, I'm going to go away and, go and have a family. And there's nothing wrong with that. However, what I'm saying is, is that if she wants to, I think Charlotte's the linchpin for a long time. Not the Becky linchpin, hey. But um, and I say that knowing that Becky loves puns, so I'm happy to call in her the linchpin. She would enjoy it. Um, but uh, I don't think Alexa's got a long shelf life. I think this is going to be a fun run, and then she's going to drop back and to be the, you know, to be another figure in there. Plus, she's also little, so at some point they're going to have to do her and Nia, and Nia is going to need to kill her, basically because that's how it should go and then if you have rematches you're in the sphere of Alexa's going to have to be the baby face because she's little and it's you know it's you can't really have a heel little and a, and a face big and like that it just doesn't work so I don't think this is going to be a they need to keep her and Nia apart for me and I don't think they will I think they'll go to it quite quickly but so I worry for the longevity of the the really cool mean girl Alexa character because I think at some point they're going to I think she'll be a baby face before the end of the year, and that's not how I would go with it. I'm I'm actually going to jump in there, mate, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say again, I slightly disagree on that whole Nia Alexa face heel dynamic. I can see that coming quite soon, and the way I can see it happening, you you've you've already said the words mean girls. Alexa might be smaller, but she's that bully at school that takes the mick out of the the girl that isn't the most attractive isn't the most popular and Nia could quite easily slide into the baby first be baby face role of being that you know slightly larger unusual looking girl who gets picked on and bullied okay. by the girl and then obviously they keep them apart they keep them apart and when the time's right you have Nia Jax run through her exactly uh, Nia has to kill her that's the yeah. thing that's, that's the problem that's the problem because no, that, that's you're right what you just said there. that's quite a good idea that's a good storyline they probably will go with that kind of thing but as soon as Nia beats her and wins the title Alexa's done um, for for that program at some point she needs a rematch and if she wants to look convincing on, on the level she has to have an even fight and then when she has an even fight the crowd will cheer her for her spunkiness so I, I think I, and again just not to sound like I'm just being contrary on purpose tonight but I can see you know the fans are responding to her as a heel in such a way that she will have that shelf life as a heel and then maybe she does get that big loss to Naira or whoever else and then when she comes back she can almost take the Trish Stratus route people appreciate that she's paid her dues she's got naturally better and I think she can be that baby face fighting from underneath that Stratus was and they're, you know, they're both fitness models that come from similar backgrounds and I can absolutely see a similar career in the future for her I think, I think she's got a hell of a lot of longevity as long as her body and her, and her willing holds up um, I think she could she could have that heel run and then transition to in a fantastic face. I think she's going to be. I I think if give it we look back at this in five years, she's going to be the biggest female star in WWE that we see over this period. Listen, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. I don't. I, I fear that she's just too small, um, and they won't really know what to do with her after a certain point. But I hope you're right. Did you listen to her on Jericho's podcast? No, I haven't yet. No. She's very, very good. In the same way, I, I remember about three years ago, two or three years ago, probably about two years ago, um, I listened to Jericho's podcast with um, Sasha, 
when she was on. I was I can, I can remember where I was. I was on a long walk through Wimbledon Common, of all places, listening to um, uh, Chris Jericho interview Sasha Banks, and I basically fell in love with her on a podcast. And she was on. She was a heel at the time, but she was so completely lovely and um, you know intelligent and just you know you just warmed to her. You couldn't help it. And it didn't make me hate her character any less. I don't buy into these people that say that um, you know heels can't do podcasts as, as, as real people's nonsense. It's a different era. Um, but you know, I, I've all I've, I've, it made me a bigger Sasha fan because I realised you know just you know where she was coming from. And the similar thing with Alexa is I listened to it and it was like she's really cool. She was funny. She was witty. She was intelligent. You know, you just you warmed to her. You know, it was you know. As a, in a good way, in a way that you can you can still boo her on television. I thought it was a, a good appearance from her. Um, so you know, it's worth a listen for you, Paul, and for anyone else to um, uh, to have a listen into um, into what she was up to on that podcast because I do think you you get the. I've said this before about the modern era of wrestlers, but I I think they're smarter. I think they're smarter than bygone eras. I meet a lot of wrestlers these days, and and I think. They're not idiots. I'm not saying they're all idiots in the old days, but there was a bit more of a meathead uh, kind of thing to wrestlers of a bygone era. Not everyone, nowhere near everyone. And that doesn't mean they're not nice people. But I think they're more. I think they're a more intelligent breed these days. Yeah. Um. That's that's just my opinion. But I don't meet many stupid wrestlers anymore. And certainly the ones that get a long way in life. Like I remember years ago interviewing Seth Rollins, you know, when he was Tyler Black, and I was struck by just what an intelligent, well-spoken man he was. And I knew he had a future. And there's loads of others that fall into that category as well. And I, I think certainly having listened to to Bailey and to Sasha and to Charlotte and to Becky and to Alexa and lots of the you know the, the ladies in the female division, you can see why it's succeeding more now. Because they, I mean, this is not to say they didn't have brains in the past. Because you know Trish, for one, is an extremely intelligent woman. But sure. um, they've got something amongst the collective now. And, and I think it's really helping them. And I'm, I'm, I'm dancing around things here because I feel like I'm being insulting to people. And I don't mean to be because there's lots of people that I could, you know, start reeling off names of people that I've got a very fondness for, like um, oh, well, no, Victor, I, I, Victoria Tara and, and Gail Kim and various others that I'm really fond of. But, um, you know, I think there's a general, you know, a, a big collective now of talented and intelligent people that are going to, you know, make it a long way. Yeah, I, I agree. And I don't think... I think you're right to compare guys to previous eras. I just think as a a society, we know more than we did in the 80s and the 90s. And, you know, you look at the guys back then and, you know, they'd abuse their bodies. They'd put all sorts of things into their systems. They, they, you know, look at the concussion protocol that's in place now. That wasn't there before. On every level, the, the ability for a wrestler to make more money, elongate the career, save more money, have a better quality of life is there. And, you know, you hear all these stories and the old timers you talk to say, you know, wistfully, but, you know, whoever you speak to, it's always the same. Whenever you go backstage at a wrestling event now, it's not cases of beer and debauchery. It's, it's guys like Xavier Woods and AJ Styles playing on their PlayStations. And, you know, like you say, Harley Race would um, have a duck fit. Uh, but, it's the you know, it's the, way of the, it's the way of the world now. You read it, you know, again, it goes back to society. You, you, you probably read the figures about how for the first time ever, the younger generation now that we were 10 years ago are actually drinking less um, rather than more than the previous generation. And I just think it's symptomatic of, of where we see ourselves. And I'm pleased because it means that more wrestlers are going to be healthier. We're not going to get this hugely ridiculous death rate that we've had in the past. Um, and hopefully guys will be able to perform better for longer. 
here, here. This is, uh, hey, this is turning out nice and positive. I'm, I'm really pleased about this. Uh-oh, yeah. here we go, cage match. Um, Sheamus and Cesaro win the titles from the Hardy Boys inside the solid steel cage. Um, I was so angry about this in so many ways. The main thing is, is that I rate both of these teams. I think Sheamus and Cesaro individually are good. As a team, have found some magic. I didn't want them to turn heel, but since they have done, they've been good. I think the two teams have got some um, chemistry. I think the crowd were into the teams. There seems to be no negatives here. But it's one of the most stupid, weirdly booked, convoluted pieces of garbage. (laughs) Because it's an utterly stupid match. It's a little bit like having a ten... Imagine having a tennis doubles match. Where you had... Okay, if you score the winning point to win a set for your team... You don't play the next set. So what utter garbage. So you're setting up a match where Jeff is trying to get out and oh, he's going to get out. Jeff's going to get out. And I remember I was sitting there going, well, if I'm Seamus and Zara, I'd go, well, let him. Let him. And then he's on the outside and we'll kick the shit out of his mate. And that's what happened. And then he came back in again, and which seemed to be, okay, that's fine. Is it? He's allowed to just come back in? Well, I suppose it's no DQ. In which point, why didn't he just bring some weapons in with him? But... Back he comes, basically only so he could do the whisper in the wind. And then when it comes down to the finish, Matt is having to try and drag him out. Well, surely if Matt just ran outside and was got his feet on the ground, surely both Hardys would have been out first, therefore they win. But the commentators were saying one thing, then they were saying another thing, then they were saying, oh, you've got to come out at the same time. It was like, this is the most ass-backwards... Here's the thing, everyone. If you've only ever watched WWE and you're only used to their cage match rules, that is not how cage matches have been throughout history. The point of a cage match... back I'm talking back to the 60s and 70s here. The idea was that these two hate each other so much and they can't get a finish in whatever way because either someone interferes or because of a, some sort of referee decision or whatever. The only way we can settle this is inside some sort of structure where they can't get out and there has to be a winner. Not the first one to ask the ref to let the door open for them. Not the first one to climb out and run away like a bitch. The first one to basically make their opponent bleed and pin them. That is the point of a cage match. I'm not advocating blood anymore, clearly. But that's what a cage match is. And I know we've had 20-odd years of cage matches in WWE where it's been, you know, escapology rather than pinning. And actually, a little while ago, they brought in the aspect of having a pin and a submission in the cage, which started to make some sense. But this was an escape-only match. And I just, I could not get my head around it because not only is it the least babyface thing to do is run away, but secondly... They did it in tag rules so that it just made no sense. You wouldn't have tried to get out on your own because you're just leaving your mate in the lurch. There's got to be someone. I, actually, in some ways, I do blame the four of them. You know, as good as they all are, some one of them should have spoke up. One team or all of them should have spoke up and gone, this doesn't make sense. They're not rookies. You know, there's a, I'm not, I don't think any of them are, are in their... I think the youngest of them is probably... Is Seamus the youngest of them, maybe being sort of like 34, 35? I'm guessing ages here. I would but, guess so. But I'm thinking you're talking a whole bunch of them somewhere between 41, 42, down to about 35. They're experienced men. They're experienced wrestlers. They're all very good wrestlers. Between them, they should be able to go, lads, this is nonsense. 
we should be able to do it. Because it actually, in many, if you try and ignore the rules, it was a really good match. The, the spots were good, the, you know, the tension was good. You know, if you can try, and I will say this, the crowd were really into it. So despite all of my whinginess, the crowd loved that match and were really into it. And they loved the four guys and I think they can go further with them and, you know, I've no problem with them, you know, from that perspective. But I just, I think it was getting to me. If you have one of these show, one of these matches on the show, then maybe, but my little annoyances about Miz and Dean and then my annoyances about having no Extreme Rules matches, then hating the, the kendo stick stuff, then having this, I was about to have an aneurysm at this point. It was just, it was, it was driving me crackers. Let me calm you down by, and I'm going to take advantage of this, um, this match to point out one of my favorite all time hidden classic matches. Okay. So these tag rules aren't unprecedented in a cage. Okay. On several occasions. The best example, and I've had to look this up. I won't pretend I've remembered the date off the top of my head. That would be a complete fib. But there's a, 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 I can't, it was either on Superstars or Mania or one of these shows. It certainly wasn't on Raw. But if you go back to the 17th of July, 1993, you will find an absolutely phenomenal cage match between the Steiner brothers and Money Inc. Okay. Four under the same rules, and I'm not trying to argue that these rules are good because you're right. The the advantage obviously would be to keep your guys in as long as possible because if you go out first, you're at the disadvantage. Um, but you'll find in that match there were guys going in and out, and the rules were explained very clearly that you can go in and out and use that to your tactical advantage as you see fit. Um, I think the big problem with this wasn't the rules themselves. I think it was the explanation of the rules by the commentators. Even they seem confused. Um, you know, the choice. If you think about it, there's a lot of tactics to, to to put into play. Do you fight two on two and don't try and escape until you've got both your guys down? Do you get one guy over the cage and hope the other guy can make a quick escape and die out the door? Um, do you let one of the other guys go out and take the two on one advantage and then both just step out of the cage? There's lots to choose from, but um, it, it wasn't particularly well, well explained. That was my problem. I thought the guys worked really well inside the ring. I thought the work was good. I thought the match was interesting. Um, I even thought, I'd, I'd kind of disagree. I thought like Jeff Hardy coming at the babyface, going out and then seeing his brother victimized by the two and then he came back in. I thought it was you know smart psychology. At that was, point, yes. Once he was out, I was there going, well, you've got to go back in now both got to be out yeah. at the same time you both got to be out at the same time there was no issues with them Matt escaping you shouldn't suddenly ring the bell if Jess still in there they've got to escape and stay out that's the point um, but nobody you know nobody nobody did explain this to us at all um, if this is one of those occasions isn't it where you know you, they could use the WWE network to their advantage and if they'd have promoted this properly beforehand and promoted these rules they could have said you know this these stipulations originated in 1993 in this match between the Steins and Money Inc. Why don't you go and check it out only on the WWE Network? Um, but they didn't, and it just became a bit of a confusing mess. I echo your um, love for Sheamus and Cesaro. I, I I've said it before on this podcast. I think they're a phenomenal power bastard team. Um, faces or heels I like you I prefer them as faces but I'll, I'll take them as heels they're damn good uh, they dress alike they act alike I just think it's a fantastic act worthy champions I'd like to see them get a good run and um, we'll see what it, we'll see what it comes to the Hardy Boys but yeah I wasn't as down on this match as you were um, the work was great the presentation left a lot to be desired and they, they could have made this so much more straightforward very easily 
you're like the acceptable face of Hooked On tonight. It's like if we were having some sort of discussion with people, I'd be the, the one in the background going, okay, I'll deal with this. Yes, we didn't think it was the best. Was like, you're, you're being diplomatic, which is good of you. I, um, um, I honestly, hand on heart, and I'm, I'm not sure this, this mask won't slip before the end, of the, um, the end of the podcast, but I expect it to be a lot more negative than I've been, if I'm honest. Well, okay. But there's positives to everything. Okay, well, we've hit our, we've hit our nadir, I think. I think we're going to pull up towards the, uh, the zenith of the final match. But in between, we have uh, Neville versus Austin Aries. Um, I have far fewer whinges about this match, um, but I do have a couple. Um, one is that this is one of the na- the nature of this kind of pay-per-view where you have to put some sort of um, gimmick on it, some sort of stipulation on it. Now, I am saying, as I did at the start of this, if you're going to have an Extreme Rules night, you should probably have Extreme Rules on all the matches, or at least some version of. That being said... I'm not a big fan of having two guys like Neville and Aries who are clearly both excellent and have had a really great series of matches and hats off to Austin Aries who has been what they've done here WWE have given Neville the title and they've thought we need to make him look good and he can't look good by just beating no disrespect to any of these people I'm about to mention but if he beats Lindsay Dorado and Cedric Alexander and Rich Swan and Noam Dar and essentially people that no one had heard of most people hadn't heard of until a certain amount of time ago then you're not elevating Neville all you're doing is telling everyone that he's you know, he's better than everyone which is fine but he's having no contenders Aries is clearly superb and everyone knows he's superb because they've seen his work elsewhere and he had a little bit on commentary to get you to know who he was and then he steps up as the contender and he was talked up well for Neville to then go and beat him basically three times this time certainly clean as a whistle um I'm absolutely happy with that booking. No problem with that whatsoever. I think that's a really good use of Ares to elevate Neville. And you can still use Ares to have good matches with other people. It doesn't kill him off. It just makes him not quite as good as Neville. That's fine. You can have that. The problem comes is that both of these guys can really wrestle and have a great match. And not allowing them to have near falls takes a little bit away from the match as far as I'm concerned. I'm not big on submission matches. They're not They're not as good as they sound. You know, because really good submission wrestlers will incorporate submissions into their matches anyway you can still work you know the sharpshooter versus the figure four or the whatever versus the whatever I was also annoyed that they did some working on the leg in this match and they'd already done some stuff in Miz Ambrose I wish they'd have had a little bit of a conversation about who was going to do the working on the leg figure four stuff because we'd already seen it um, but you know, that aside I just felt it hindered them so it's not the, not the biggest complaint in the world because I still thought it was a good match but I wish they'd been allowed to do a little bit more um, in terms of doing the near falls my second complaint which is a bigger one which is you know surely someone's got to knock on the head here of the official is that you've got Austin Aries having missed a suicide dive or whatever it was on the outside and crashed and burned and it looked bad and overcomes the ref and starts to count him out yeah and it's a no DQ match it's a no count out match I wanted I wanted Aries to almost break character there and go I'm going to wait until he counts 10 and just see what he does go on ref count to 10 what are you going to do because you can't DQ me he's, he's the kind of bloke that I can imagine actually doing it or at least shout back and go why are you counting me and then later someone's got a, a, a hold on and someone then gets to the ropes and there's the ref again one yeah. two and they were adhering to the five count it's like don't adhere to the five count leave the hold on now 
to my understanding of the rules, which are kind of, okay, they're kayfabe rules, but my understanding of the rules would be you cannot beat someone with the move when they're holding the ropes, but neither can you be DQ'd for leaving it on because it's a no-DQ match. That is how I understand the rules to be. But why is no one telling me this? Why do their own bloody refs not know this? But why is the, why are the commentators not telling me this? Why don't the wrestlers emote this? People would laugh at me. From in the wrestling bubble, they would laugh at me for this, for being a stupid mark, taking it too seriously. But I'm a huge believer in, if you get the little nuances right, you get the tiny little things right, then the bigger things will follow. If we are not supposed to take these matches seriously, then why are we supposed to take anything seriously? Therefore, why are we supposed to pay our money? That is what it comes down to. You want us to pay our money to see X versus Y in the main event of WrestleMania. Every match, therefore, needs to be have some value in terms of he beats him and care about he beating him. And if there are no values on the way, then you stop caring. And we're anyone listening to this, plus us... We love it too much. We're already sucked in. We're going to keep on coming back. But they need to think about bringing new people in because every week you read a rating story and it's about the ratings going down. Now, admittedly, the network numbers are holding up well, so they've obviously got their diehards. But there are fewer and fewer people that are getting drawn. Wrestling is no longer cool. I don't think it's as sad as it once was, but it's no longer a cool thing to get on board with. And this was the kind of show where someone knew that you were trying to attract would watch it and go, this is stupid, mate. I'll go and watch UFC. It was, you know, you have a competitor. You have more boxings in the, on its ass. But UFC is a real thing. And it is a direct competitor in terms of... You can watch both. You don't have to be exclusive like you. But there are some people that you're going to compare it to that now. And if people want to see... You know, we're about to get onto the main event and what that's going to... Entail, and I think that could bring some eyeballs back. You know, I think this could be a serious match. You know, coming up at Great Balls of Fire. There you go. You want to be serious, and then you're calling a pay-per-view that. But there could be something to bring people back here. But in the meantime, you've got to get rid of these things that are head scratching and don't make sense. And even something like a 205 live cruiserweight match. You know, that's kind of will be forgotten eventually. But if the ref is counting for stupid reasons and you don't take anything seriously on a night where the kendo stick didn't make sense and the cage didn't make sense and the um, Miz making Ambrose look like an idiot didn't make sense, all of a sudden we're building up certain things here. And I think they're problems. And I feel like a grouchy old git for saying this. And I know we're always talking about, you know, let's be positive. But um, sometimes these things come out because I care. And I think they're so easily righted. I don't think any of these things were forced upon anyone. I think a, a meeting or two last week could have stopped all of these things. And that's what frustrates me, because I just think they're tiny, workable, manageable issues that altogether harm something I really, really care about. And so I apologise for being a downer. And if you think I'm being a right whinging wally, then that's fine. You can You can think that. And I'm certainly not normally like this. And normally other people are putting the boot into every single thing. And I'm the one going, oh, bloody hell, cut them some slack. And I am cutting slack where it's possible. Because I actually think the performance of almost every wrestler on Sunday night was, was very good. I'm certainly not really tucking into the performers themselves. But I just think they were, they were hamstrung in the worst ways on Sunday night. Up until the main event, which I think was very good and we'll get on to next. But... Sorry to keep on make, putting you in the position of like try and bring some light to Rob's whingings, but uh, uh, I think you can see where I'm coming from. Mate, um, 
to me, it, it's just really sloppy. Again, it echoes what I said about the last match. Yeah, I, I absolutely noticed those two moments you mentioned with the count out and the DQ. You know, if you want to bring those elements into the storytelling of the match, then explain a submission match can end in, in um, count outs and DQs. I, for one, don't understand why you can't get um, DQ'd in a submission match. You should be able to, because then it ensures you're not just beating a guy to death with a chair. Agreed. Agreed. That's the other thing I was going to say. That's why. Thank you for saying that. Because, yeah, because that's the thing. If a submission match is no DQ, why aren't you just beating the shit out of them with something? Exactly. Why are you wrestling a normal match? Why would you not just beat the crap out of them? Exactly. And it's just it's just, it is just sloppiness. Um, and I just think, it, like like you just said, you hit the nail on the head. It's something that's very small that could be solved very easily, but would stop you coming out of that bubble of um, of uh, suspending your disbelief. Um, and it's just it's just not good enough. And I hope that someone's picked up on that and picked picked apart whoever was responsible for that because just takes one conversation and it's done you've got two performers who are in there who are absolutely fantastic professional wrestlers um, so you'd like to think that if they were given certain parameters to work with and they could do that and craft a great match they don't need the DQ teases and they don't need the count out teases to make a great, a great match was this a great match wasn't as good as the last two um, and probably slightly disappointing based on the two guys that were in there but you know it was a very good match still very well worked and the right guy won simple as that yeah yeah let's let's go with um let's go with all that for the time being and there's one little match that um i pointed out several years ago it was it was in tna and from two guys that normally would be you talk about guaranteed a great match but it was an aj styles versus daniels match where they did an i quit gimmick and i think it ended with something like daniels had aj in front of a spike or something and basically it was like yeah. I'm going to push your head into this spike and AJ went oh I quit I quit which you would um, and I remember thinking well now any match which is a submission match in the future I'm just going to get a gun I'll just stand there with a gun say I quit or I'll shoot you and there's no real reason around that now I'm not advocating someone actually try that because we don't want to start bringing that into wrestling but theoretically why can't I just pull a gun on someone in a hardcore match and have them tap. Right. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like you need to try and stick away from certain logic holes, add in those layers, and say this is no DQ, but even we have some limits. Because here's the thing: here's a kendo stick. Here's someone I'm going to hit a kendo stick with. Wait, wait, where are you going to hit them? Going to hit them in the head, right? But we can't. We can't hit them in the head because we have a concussion policy. K, uh, not kayfabe, but in reality. We don't do chair shots to the head, and we don't do sledgehammers to the head, and we don't do whatever it is to the head, because we're worried about their their brains and their concussion and their spinal cord. Quite right too. No more pile drivers. No more chairs to the head. Totally, I'm totally on board with that. But on screen, why would that dastardly, nasty piece of work heel not hit them in the head when he gets the chance, but wait and go round and hit them in the back? which anyone, even though someone like me that's not taking a chair shot, knows it doesn't hurt in the back nearly as much as it would do in the fucking head. So, explain it. Put a rule in that even and say, even in no disqualification matches, there are, there are limits. Okay, so you can use weapons, but you can't hit. I would put low blows into that as well. I don't think there's any need to do a low blow, even in no DQ. Take it out, because there's no... 
Because a low blow is the nastiest, lowest thing you could possibly do as a nasty heel. So baby faces should never go to the low blow. But when yeah. heels do, baby faces have to come back with it, and they look stupid. I would say, right, here is an ODQ match. You can basically do anything. You can use weapons, but you cannot hit people in the head, and you cannot use the low blow. That is, that is a, even, even within... At that point, it's a no contest. It's not a disqualification because you're calling it a no DQ match. But at that point, no contest. And that person gets suspended for a month. And do it once when someone's going to go away and film something. Have them do it and suspend them. And bring that rule in so people know that rule. And I know it seems people are going, oh, it's just wrestling. I know it is. But in reality, think about the things that would happen. Think about if there was a, a boxing match. If it Mayweather Pacquiao and they'd been fighting for 11 rounds, and then suddenly, you know, Mayweather's mate ran in and hit Pacquiao. And it was a DQ and whatever. It was like, could you imagine the, the, how what would go on at that point? Now, I'm not saying that wrestling has to take out all of those things that make it wrestling. Of course I'm not. But sometimes you have to translate and say, what would happen in a real sport if this happened? If the referees made the mistakes as often as they do, what would be happening in real sport? And sometimes you've got to reflect that if you want to try and make it feel like some sort of legitimate competition that we can lose ourselves in. And I, I, I don't think there is enough heed paid to that. I don't think there are enough sport fans that seem to run wrestling or have a, a high position in there that, that play to the audience's love of competition of your team versus my team of even even in soap opera that you know that this guy winning out over this guy or whatever it might be i seem to feel that the emphasis is more on we tell the story that you do what you can do to win but you've still you've got to have a little bit of heroism you know you've got to have people that are winning honestly this is where the bailey thing falls down because i think they're trying to tell the story that bailey you know wants to win honestly but no one is criticised for winning badly because everyone goes well it's no DQ and Alexa did what she had to do so you just you know you can't castrate Bailey as a woman but you know what I'm saying it's like it just, take, just yeah. takes out that possibility and this is what drives me crackers because it's so short term thinking and I get the feeling that they just booked these matches and then Saturday morning they went oh shit we've got to come up with some finishes and they did what they had to and I don't, maybe they're so overworked and so overstretched that it's hard to blame them because we get to sit and pontificate about this on a Thursday night after the Sunday show they've done a Raw and a Smackdown and some house shows and they're travelling for the next Raw by now so maybe I should cut them some slack but you know I'm going to breathe now and from now on it's going to be positive, positive stuff you can have the last word on this um, this particular matter and then we'll move on to the Fatal Five Way which was pleasingly very very good I, I don't really know where to go with that, mate. I, I fully agree with everything you've said. I think anything I add to that will just be window dressing. I think it, it's such a shame where we have, that we have to even have these conversations. But you're right, with such an amount of programming to do, it's it, it's going to happen. Unfortunately, they are so overstretched that maybe they just don't have time to, to bother to, to sweat the details. And it's a big, big shame. Okay. Let's breathe and let's go into the Fatal Five Way, which doesn't really trip off the tongue. I wish they'd come up with another name for that. I'm going to do one more little tiny whinge. Fatal Four, we know Triple Threat and we know Fatal Four Way. I wish they'd have called it a Five Way Dance or a Five Star Match. Or, oh, that'd be quite good, wouldn't it? That'd be a little shot back. <laughs> Call it a Five Star Match and then you take away. Oh, how good would that be? 
every time you have a five-way match, call it a five-star match, and then it would take away from the uh, those <laughs> star matches. That'd be a good little shot, wouldn't it? CM Punk would have showed up. <laughs> Maybe lots of lots of people win the uh, from the Tokyo Dome in the front row. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, anyway, the Fatal Five Way. We talked last week on the podcast about um, the excitement that we felt that almost anyone could win. I think weirdly, because we kind of know how wrestling booking works, that the only person we really counted out last week was Roman Reigns, who really ought to be the favourite in real times. But we knew that it was unlikely that you'd go Reigns versus Lesnar at a Great Balls of Fire show. But, you know, I don't think everyone thinks that way in that sort of depth. I think there's still plenty of people that just watch wrestling just for how it is, and that's cool as well. So I'm not blaming WWE for that. I felt realistically, if you're an ordinary punter, a kid, let's say, that watches wrestling and doesn't necessarily go into the nuances, they probably would have said, don't know who's going to win. Could be anyone. And I think that's pretty cool. And, you know, we talked, you and... Um, uh, you, you went with the idea that it was going to be... Um, that it was going to be Finn Balor last week um, and you know we we armed and armed about where it could go and you know in, in the end you know I didn't really I don't, I'm not sure I really offered you a strong opinion I, wa- I said I wanted to go Bray Wyatt but you know there was a there was a cool aspect of Joe winning and you know, I have sort of hedged it a little bit but in the end they went with Joe and I didn't necessarily see it coming I didn't have one of these matches where it was either a sudden out of nowhere win like for example Zack Ryder when he won that ladder match a couple of years ago and it wasn't an oh that's clearly who's going to win like it sometimes is I didn't see where it was going to end I, I kind of bought the finish of of Balor sort of I, didn't, I never thought they were going to beat Reigns so I didn't really totally buy the finish of Balor on Reigns but when Joe came out of nowhere and put on the Kikina clutch I was sitting there thinking well this could be the finish but then someone could break it up and then Balor taps, and I went, that's pretty cool. And that's how those matches, to me, should go. You should have that moment of, wow, it's a finish, that's great. Or that's bad, or whatever, but at least it had a finish. Um, so, first of all, you're overall on the match. Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was a brilliant match. I thought it was really, um, as you'd expect with five guys of that quality, well, four guys of that quality and Bray Wyatt. Um, Ooh, I'm sure. <laughs> bit bitchy, I know. Um, I thought it was good like you I thought um, any any of the guys apart from Roman Reigns could win and that really helped the match um, you don't really get too much of that nowadays do you I think we're, we, we like to think of ourselves as quite smart overall but I remember we, we all hedged it last week you know I think I said uh, Balor and Rollins I think John Canton said similar um, but we, we none of us were massively sure and that reflected in, in, in what we saw I, th- I thought the match was fa- Phenomenal for a half an hour. You get, you know, you got some really interesting sequences, some good, some alliances, some matches that we've never seen before, some cracking spots. I don't know what more we could have asked really from 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 the match going in. No, totally. And um, let's have a little chat about the the winner himself. Um, yeah. Samoa, Samoa Joe is someone that I said would never get called up to the main roster. Mm, um, yeah. That's because. I didn't think that they'd go with someone like him. I've long been a Samoa Joe fan. I think that the biggest thing that Samoa Joe brings to the table, um, I know he's a heel, but Samoa Joe is cool. And there yeah. is a, an unidentifiable cool factor in life. I have never been cool for a day in my life. But I know people that are, and Samoa Joe is. Um, but also, he's playing a heel very convincingly. He's not easy to cheer. He has toned down some of his flashier stuff because he's not, partially because he's getting older, 
but partially because it makes him, you know, easier to dislike. I didn't find him likable in this match at all. I thought he was a prick. I thought he was working with Wyatt and how they were both pricks. And I mean this in the, the best possible terms, because they're supposed to be. Um, I am interested in the dynamic um, of, of him versus Brock, but while I am generally a proponent of heels and baby faces, good and evil, good guys and bad guys, blue eyes and villains, call it what you will, I generally think that's how you should go. I think you need to have a dog in the fight. I talked about that a couple of weeks ago when we had our little ding dong about the NXT match about Pete Dunne and um, Tyler Bate. I felt that one. I felt that the heel needed to be more of a heel and to win like a heel. However, I think the biggest anomaly about all this is Brock Lesnar. Partly because he's not around very often, partly because he's a completely different animal. But you can kind of plug in Brock Lesnar where you need to. And if they need to do Brock Lesnar as a babyface here, they can. If they need to do him as a heel and turn to Mojo, they can. I think what they're more likely to do is just abandon any anything of heel and babyface and just say, here's two guys you care about and they're going to tear into each other. I agree. Ultimately, Brock's going to win, but I think Joe is going to come out of this looking good because Brock has dominated some people before. Whereas I was thinking in terms of you can have Wyatt win and you can feed Wyatt to Lesnar and have Lesnar look strong and look dominant. I actually like this better now I think about it because I think they're going to have a real brawl, a real smash-each-other-up brawl that's entertaining as hell and ultimately Lesnar will beat him down and beat him but you'll go, God, that Joe's tough. And if they've, you know, if they've got some savvy, they'll have Joe come out afterwards and be an asshole and just beat up Sami Zayn again for no good reason. Not Sami Zayn's on SmackDown, but just beat someone up on Raw for no good reason. So Joe's a bastard again, because I like I like the heel Joe at the moment. I don't want him to gain too much credibility, you know, fighting Lesnar and not not coming up short. But I think that's where they're going to go. I think this is they're going to show that Joe's a badass and Lesnar is so good that he beat Joe, as opposed to. Joe just uh, Lesnar just kills everyone. I'd be very, very disappointed if Lesnar just kills Joe. Um, yeah, there's been a debate. I, I frequent a forum um, online that, that was talked a lot about this this week, and there's a real debate going on there about what sort of match we're going to see. You know, this is a dream match. All right, it's a dream match from 2004, so we're a little bit late, but hey, better late than never. Both guys can still put on a cracking match, and I'm really looking forward to it. But there's some people who are fearing that it's going to be a squash as a lot of Lesnar matches have uh, have been and I'm just not feeling that I think um, I, I can't remember I was talking to you about it earlier in the week Rob or, or other people but I think it fits in really nicely they're, do, they're doing this great balls of fire pay-per-view right and obviously we all mock the name mercilessly and rightly but the marketing for it was launched this week and they're going all out on the 50s theme aren't they um, they, they seem got, to be complete with the song I think with the song yeah the great story about that I read Jerry Law apparently Jerry Lee Lewis tried to sue them for using the name Great Balls of Fire because he's got the copyright on it um, and instead of and so you sent them a legal letter um, and the negotiations ended him cancelling the legal action and licensing the song from him <laughs> cool. um, that's straight from Jerry Lawler that one anyway they're going all in on this 50s vibe they've got the, the diners and the Cadillacs and whatnot. And, and the drive-in movie theatre was featured heavily in the advertising the match graphics are all drive-in movie theatre screens and this is basically a monster movie this is basically um, you know Brock Lesnar as Godzilla Brockzilla against uh, King Joe um, 
And I think it would have been the same if Braun Strowman was in the Joe spot, which was originally planned before the injury. And I think they've long pegged this pay-per-view from all with all the pieces now falling into place as a main event monster movie. And I think that's what we're going to see. I think we're going to see two absolute badasses beat the living crap out of each other. There's going to be debris. There's going to be weapons used. It's going to be an absolute clash of the titans. I cannot wait, especially after the Paul Heyman um, Joe confrontation on Raw. Yes, I think there was that was the extra side of things, wasn't it? I certainly said that I wanted to see Bray. Uh, in that position because although I thought Bray was the kind of person that they could feed to Lesnar and it wouldn't necessarily hurt anyone Bray and Heyman would have been fun but yeah Joe Joe has stepped up to a level that you know is this a case of if Joe and AJ had gone to WWE six or seven years ago that they would have had six or seven unbelievable years in WWE or have they got to a point in their career and then been developed that little step on. Because I still say that AJ, the best thing that ever happened to AJ was going to New Japan. Not going to WWE, but going to New Japan and learning to wrestle that way. And then suddenly this huge... The same will happen with Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega will go to WWE. It might not be next year, it might be the year after, but he will go there. I watched Kenny Omega wrestle in Wolverhampton in 2008 and I knew he was amazing. I remember yeah. sitting there with Simon Rothstein and we watched Kenny Omega and went, this guy's got something. It, at that time, it was like, it was a sort of Carlito kind of thing, but we both went, we love this guy as a heel. I wouldn't have ever said he was going to be the biggest star in New Japan, but I definitely thought he had a big career one day. He'll get there. Now, AJ's gone that route. Um, Joe's gone a different route, obviously, but um, the pair of them are doing the best work of their entire career, and they're both about 40. Yeah. Um, so fair play to them it's not all about your athleticism it's not all about being able to jump around and do whatever you can sometimes it's a bit more about psychology picking your moments, saying the right thing but moreover, character AJ has had a great year but only because AJ's great in the ring AJ's characters are still not bang on they've not quite got AJ right yet the whole time with WWE they've not really got him right he's kind of a cool heel and then he's kind of now he's a babyface but is he totally in it's this but he makes up for it by being the best damn performer in the world joe's got a bit of both about him because joe is very very good in the ring and believable and whatever but his character he has nailed it he has absolutely nailed this destroyer there's no real upside to him as a, as a human being from what you can tell he's just a nasty piece of work yeah and when you're building up prime UFC fights prime boxing fights in the real world you want to believe that you've got two beasts of human beings that you want to see collide and I think you know for all that we might joke about the uh, the great balls of fire and wish this was SummerSlam or whatever we've got something here and you know almost suddenly because we sort of briefly touched on this last week but we didn't go into depth on it but suddenly, Joe and Lesnar looks like, you know, did, did Corey Graves kill it slightly by saying, this is a dream match that we've dreamed of? And it's like sometimes when they say it, it makes it doesn't seem not as cool. But this is a sort of a sleeper dream match. There'll be some people listening going, I've been saying for years I wanted to see Joe Lesnar. And that's cool. I'm sure you have. But this has not ever been the match I've been, you know, all the way along thinking, damn, I want to see this. Like for years, I talked about wanting to see Kurt Angle versus Daniel Bryan. And now I don't think I'm ever going to see it. But, you know, 
this is one that I've never thought about, but man alive, I'm excited for this. Too right. Yeah, I think it's going to be phenomenal. Not, you know, match of the year in inverted commas, but a, 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 just a great pro wrestling match. Yes. What did you think generally of how everyone else did? Did it do good things for the other four that didn't win? I think it hurt anyone. Um, I wouldn't say anyone came... You, I don't think there was anyone that came out of it other than Joe where you go, yes, this was a star-making performance. Um, but they should, I, be, they should be already stars, right? I mean, with the exception exactly. of ba- Bala, maybe. They're, all, they're yeah. already stars. Exactly. I think, I think they all did. You know, they all held up the side at their end of the bargain. Um, even Bray Wyatt, who, like I said, I do tease. I'm not as down on Bray Wyatt as I make out. But... Um, yeah, there's you know I suppose if anything the, the the one that impressed me most in ring was probably Seth Rollins. Yeah, I thought he had some really good spots. He kind of held the match together a bit, uh, but I, I genuinely think it was a team effort. There wasn't when I say there wasn't one outstanding performance. I think it was just five very good performances, um, pretty much on a, on a similar level. Um, yeah, just you know that's quite a boring response in a way. It's, it's a bit on the fence, but I think that's that's what we got. Um. I thought that uh, Rollins looked looked like Rollins again. I think he shines in those kind of matches. I thought that um, he seemed to have an extra spring in his step. I thought was was really good to see. Um, and again, I'm not I'm not all for you know throwing everything kitchen sink blah blah blah. But I thought his the frog splash through the table I thought was really well done. It looked safe. Um, and I thought he nailed it. I thought he looked really good. Um, so I thought there were plenty of moments that he had. Um, Reigns had some big power moments that were, were Reigns being Reigns, which was fine. But they, they put him in a bit of jeopardy. It looked like he was going to lose to to Balor. So they didn't totally do the protect Reigns at all costs thing. They had him in the mix and without making him look too weak. Um, Wyatt is the one that is the most expendable. Um, and they probably did le- less with him than, than really anyone apart from... You know, they had He was the one that had to introduce the chair, for example. Yeah. Um, so they probably had him at the bottom of the totem pole, and I thought I thought Balor was really good as well. I thought Balor was believable. I think the the tough thing is going to be with Balor is that you're going to have matches with him where he's so much smaller than everyone else. He's going to have to keep on pulling it out. He, he can never have a night off in Balor. He's going to have to be at it all the time. Um, and I thought he was at it the other night. And uh, one thing I want to just touch on with him, I was talking to uh, to. Uh, to my pal and part of the Hooked On team, Chris Groves, um, yesterday we were talking about when are we going to see the demon? And Chris was of the belief that you can do Balor versus Bray soon and it maybe ends where Balor can't get the better of him and he has to pull out the demon for SummerSlam. What do you think? I Yeah, I think we'll, I think that's it. I think we'll see the demon for SummerSlam. It looks like Bray's going with Seth Rollins though for SummerSlam by, by the looks of things. But... Um, or maybe that's just a one-off for Great Balls of Fire. Yeah, I, I thought it was good that we didn't get the Demon because it proves that they're not just going to bring it out on every pay-per-view for the sake of it. Um, and I don't know. I don't know. I, I just think they've got to be very careful. You know, the, the temptation to over-merchandise that persona is massive. But if if it becomes such a regular thing that he just pops out willy-nilly, then the aura's gone. You know, in my opinion, that demon should be there four or five times a year. But it's a bit like, it's a bit like the old um, gimmick pay-per-views, isn't it? With Hell in a Cell, Hell in a Cell works much better when there's a genuine reason to have a cell match rather than a pay-per-view that has to have a cell match. And it's a bit the same with the, with the demon. He should, if, if he comes out two months in a row, then we don't see him for a year. Fine. If he comes out 
once a quarter every three months at like Cotwood then fine as long as there's a genuine reason for that guy to show up um, then I think it's cool yeah you need to have the first instance of the story needs to be some sort of Bala frustration and he has to go to the demon I equated it to and we talked about this last week on the podcast because we were talking about Mick Foley I equated it to that moment where Mick or where Mankind was doing the promo to Triple H and the Mankind said I can't beat you but I know a guy that can and he pulled out Cactus Jack and Triple H sold Cactus Jack Yeah. and it's there has to be that moment where Bala has to go I'm going to need to go demon and whether I think what you do is probably subtly reference it not you know overtly have him come out on Raw and go I'm going to be the demon on Sunday well not that you talk about that but no I'm going to be the demon on Sunday but you know have whoever he's wrestling walks into his dressing room and finds the mask or finds the paint or some such thing so it kind of subtly but overtly says he's going to be the demon on Sunday and I think then it makes a big and then he has to win by the way you know, with the first time that Bray is the demon, uh, sorry, not Bray. The first time that Finn is the demon, he has to win. Definitely. If, if you have him come out as a demon and he loses, you've killed it. So um, that's another thing. That's a, a subtle point which we'll uh, we'll get to when they get to. Um, I think we've done plenty on the uh, the show as, uh, as as a breakdown. Like I said, we don't typically do this um, on this program. It's not going to be our uh, typical thing of going through every single pay-per-view and going through it all, but uh, this one felt like it just uh, it needed it in this uh, in this uh, micro sense. Um, any final parting words for the um, not just the main event, but for the for the show itself? Um, not 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 that we haven't really covered. I I would give if I I would give this show a thumbs in the middle. Um, if I was rating it, like I said, there was, it, it was very inconsistent. There were some bits that I really liked, other bits that I really didn't. Um, would I recommend it as a watch to somebody who hasn't already seen it? Um, no, no, I wouldn't suggest you spend three hours going through it. But I'd, I'd say watch, watch the main event. I say watch the first match, watch the last match. Yeah, yeah, fair dues. Yeah, you see what you need to see. Yeah, fair dues. I think um, I've, I've spent a little while com- tonight comparing boxing in UFC with wrestling and, and talking about the, the differences and the nuances and I think that when it comes to you know like McGregor versus Mayweather is a bit you know beyond everything but when it comes to any sort of you know um, boxing main event Joshua versus Klitschko you know you want to have some some decent matches on the undercard supporting it but at the end of the day if you have a you know seven eight nine terrible matches that no one cares about it really doesn't matter if the main event delivers and like I say I'm not a boxing guy and I didn't watch it but from, from everything I can tell Joshua and Klitschko was was amazing from, yeah. from what boxing fans tell me um, so I know that there'll be no boxing fans going yeah I mean Klitschko and Joshua was good but that match between the bantamweights that was you know third on the card was terrible that's not how those shows work now that is how wrestling works it is the ensemble cast as opposed to the main events it, that yeah. is how it goes um, so we can't just dismiss you know, two and a half hours worth of wrestling and say it doesn't matter because the main event was good. That's not how it goes. However, you can wait it. And I think that if you have a really good undercard and a terrible main event, or you have a really terrible undercard and a great main event, you have to try and compare and contrast because what's the most important thing? And I think the main event pulling through is is the most important thing. So therefore, if I'm doing the the thumbs gimmick I'll join you in going in the middle because the main event was so good I think it pulled it up yeah 
that does not mean that all of the other complaints and um, issues that I have with all those other things, you know, should not, in my opinion, have been dealt with because they should have. Had any of them risen in the main event, then I would have had even more reason to to cry and bitch and moan than I already have done and annoy people on this supposedly happy and jolly and upbeat podcast. Um, let's leave Mona Gooden. Um, we didn't really uh, sell it enough earlier on, I think. Steve has left us with the Macho Man. Oh, yeah. I am really excited about talking about that because although he is someone that is almost universally respected, um, he's never talked about as one of the greats unless pushed. You know, he didn't have an era. He didn't have a sort of defining moment necessarily. He has several, which we will talk about, but there was no Macho Man era. Um, but there, there will be stuff that we talk about and we're going to keep our powder dry on, on the, the discussions of his career. But I don't think you'll ever find someone that goes, Savage, meh. I think all around people tend to go, there's not many that you get that almost everybody likes. Because even, you know, there are people that are down on Flair and there are people that are down on Hogan and there are people that are down on Brett and there are people that are down on Sean even. I don't find there's a lot of people that are down on Savage. He might be the most consistently respected person that you could possibly find as a wrestler, you know, as a as a performer. I don't know about as a guy. People often talk about him being a bit overprotective and a bit strange, especially towards the end of his life. But as a as an all-round wrestling sports entertainment performer, I think you'll do well to find someone that goes Randy Savage. Nah. Oh, mate, I, I'm beyond excited. Randy Savage is my favourite performer of all time. Hands down. As a package, I think he excels in absolutely everything. He's got the image. He's got the in-ring. He's got the charisma. He's got the interviews. He's got absolutely everything. He drew. He was mainstream famous. He, he, to, to me, is the epitome of pro wrestling. I, larger than life guy. In every way, I adore the bones of Macho Man Randy Savage, um, and I can't wait to crack into this next week. Hopefully, we can give it some justice. Or is, maybe, is, maybe the next time we convene after our holiday period, should I say? Yes, we'll get we'll get to that in just a second. But um, uh, and here's the thing, right? He did all that on a terrible name, because actually, yeah. first of all, Randy Savage is a bit porn star laughable. And secondly, could you imagine, like, give me a wrestler today. Like, let's say that Dean Ambrose, who we were talking about earlier on, let's say we repackage Dean Ambrose as Dean Macho Man Ambrose. <laughs> if, if Randy Savage had never had existed, and you did a, a wrestler these days and called him Macho Man, dear God, what a terrible, stupid name that gives you connotations of a sort of, like, that silly song. And also, um, you know, just... Chris Macho Man Masters. Do you know what I mean? It's like because he would be someone that would have the big pecs and stuff. But I completely know what you mean. But... It doesn't work. But you don't ever think about it. This is the point: <laughs> is that you barely ever go, "Oh, Macho Man Randy Savage, shit name." But it, it is. It's a terrible name. But it's the same way that the Undertaker is a terrible gimmick. Undead Zombie. What are you talking about? But it bloody worked for thirty years, so it's so it's fine. That's what a good performer he was. You know, he could have just been called Randy Savage and he would have still had just as good a career. But he worked in the Macho King and the Macho Madness. I can't do the voice. I don't know why I'm even trying to do that. But um, he worked it all in and he played it all up. And here's another thing. We're getting a little bit too deep into this. We're going to have to hold some of this back. But he might be as good as there's ever been at being all-out babyface 
an all-out heel. Normally, agreed. There's one way that you can, there's a there's a little bit of you that says that the Bret Hart that you saw in '97 was a wonderful heel, but at the same time he was a babyface in Canada, so you can't really go with it. I've never bought Flair as a babyface, even though he's been cheered. Hogan obviously had the time in in um, the NWO, but it didn't last all that long, really. There was still a cool heel faction. He got cheered again later on, and I'm sure you can go through lots of others. You know, Michael's baby. But he still had a bit of a cool factor about him. Michael's definitely. Yeah. But I would, but I would argue that of, of any two sort of real top tier performers, Savage and Michaels have the, have the most in common out yeah. of anyone. They are. They're like sat basically where where Randy Savage left off. Shawn Michaels picked up the baton. Yeah, and there's a bit and a bit of CM Punk as well. Punk was a good heel. Fair point. Yeah. And so Fair there's point. A, there's a bit of him in there, but I well, still I still not sure there's been anyone as good as Randy. Well, who's, uh, who's, who's Punk's idol? Oh yeah, Punk loves him. He, yeah. he, took, he took the elbow and, and yeah, all sorts of things. So, yeah, you know, you, you know, you, you certainly wouldn't, wouldn't get an argument out of him. Um, like I say, powder dry a little bit on that because I oh. think I think we could very possibly do a, a whole show um, based off of Macho Man or, or, or something similar. Yeah, we'll, we'll level with you, everyone. Here's the situation: um, Paul goes on holiday in about five days' time for a fortnight, and in about a week and a half, I go away for a week. We're not absolutely clear what we're going to do at this point in terms of the next couple of weeks, but we will try and get some audio goodness into your ears. It might be that it's me with someone else. It might be that me and Paul try and get something done beforehand and we uh, we lay it out um, as we go. Frankly, we don't know. That's just us being honest with you. But we will try and get something to you um, to, uh, to fill the gap um, because... And we'll end on uh, talking about some of our uh, future ventures because things are starting to get exciting. Well, everyone's starting to think in terms of their summer holiday plans, as are me and Paul. By the time we get back, we're going to be right in towards the end of June. And then suddenly in July, what are we up to in July, Paul? Oh, man, um, I'm sure there's something in the diary. Let me just have a quick look. Um, uh, but, 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 yeah, there's that camping We've got trip. something. We've got something. Uh, something. Oh, we're doing this tour. Um, what's that? Go? Bruce. Something Bruce, to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard live in the UK and Ireland. That was it. I nipped my tongue. We are working on this uh, constantly as we speak. Um, every other day, me and Paul have a conversation about something regarding it, which uh, it makes probably makes it cooler for us than it does for you guys sometimes. But uh, um, we still want to see as many of you there as possible. Um, we are going to be. Uh, taking Bruce to Ireland and then having three dates here in England. Paul's going to give you the dates in just a second. Um, but they will be uh, very fun shows. We've got some good reports about um, uh, the show coming out of, uh, out of Extreme Rules on Sunday that Bruce and Conrad did. Um, all of the live shows that I've read about so far seem to have been um, brilliantly received. So there's no way on earth that Bruce is not going to bring uh, some of that over to us in the UK. Um, we are huge fans of the podcast, huge fans of those guys, and we know that Bruce is going to bring the good stuff to us. So uh, we are very excited about that. Um, all the way in the background, I can tell you that a little secret meeting took place last weekend regarding a possible future Hooked On venture. That has to stay very much under wraps for now because nothing's anywhere near done. But if, uh, if it were to get done, trust us, you would absolutely love it. Um, and Paul, um, you're working away there about... Uh, SummerSlam plans, and I think there might be a, a new city, new town in the in the mix of SummerSlam, but we can't mention it just yet. But uh, lots of uh, lots of interesting stuff for SummerSlam coming up. Well, two two new towns on the dock um, for SummerSlam actually, so we're really excited. Um, 
yep so they're hopefully all being well it's a bit of a process to go through but all being well but um, by the time let me think by the time you get listen listen to this podcast guys we should have the tickets on sale for SummerSlam within seven days oh there we go okay so uh, towards uh, towards the middle of June therefore we're recording this on the 8th so towards the middle of June um, SummerSlam tickets so start to get to thinking about that get your dates in the diary just very quickly Paul the, uh, the Bruce dates starting with uh, our show in uh, in Dublin yeah, absolutely. So we start in Dublin on, um, that will be sun, uh, Saturday the 15th of July. We're at the Woolshed Bar and Grill. Um, and for that Bar and Grill. Bar and Grill. For that event specifically, to buy your tickets, you need to go to billetto.ie. That's B-I-L-L-E-T-T-O. Ain't I great? Um, <laughs> we, uh, we fly over to England where we hit uh, Birmingham on the sun, uh, Sunday the 16th of July. We're going to be at the Round the World Bar um, on Broad Street, right in the city centre. Then we head over to the Comedy Store in Manchester on uh, Monday the uh, 17th of July before concluding the tour in London at our spiritual home walkabout temple right there again in the city centre. That's Tuesday the 18th. Um, where we will wave goodbye to Bruce and uh, hopefully be able to reflect on a very entertaining and very successful tour. So for those three English dates, you've got three options to buy your tickets. Hookedonevents.co.uk is probably the easiest. Then we've got ringsideworld.co.uk and wegottickets.com. And there you have it. Then, guys, go to hookedonevents.co.uk. We, we do a bit better out of that. But there are, <laughs> there, there are some other things for you to do as well. Um, and here's my personal plea to you. It doesn't matter if you can't do this, because we'll still, we'll still have some fun. But see if you're coming to a show and the following day is a work day. Take a day off. Take a day off and come and have a beer. Because let me tell you this. These shows are not going to be nice little sit and have a cup of tea, finish the show and go to bed deals. Me and Paul know how to go on tour and we know how to mix work with a couple of beverages <laughs> as you'll be able to tell from the stories that he's told on his podcast Bruce Pritchard is not going to come over and sip the tea with us and disappear to the hotel room we're going to be drinking some stuff guys we're going to be having a good night We're going to, it's not going to be a nice little cosy night we're hitting some bars for some of these shows we're going to have some beer on the stage we're going to have a drink with you guys we're going to have a great deal of fun and when the show finishes we're going to carry on drinking so you are more than welcome to fill in the gaps as well. You can come along and make sure it's... Now, listen, it's not drunken, raucous idiot night, okay? Don't get to the show and shout out and ruin it because we'll just get rid of you, okay? We're not in the mood for drunken idiots and we're not in the mood for heckling. We've got a show to do. No one wants to hear the interruptions, right? But that does not mean we can't have a bit of audience participation, a bit of interaction and a nice few beers and a breakdown afterwards. So that's what I'm suggesting. It's not the piss-up to end all piss-ups, but it's going to be a nice, fun night with a few adult beverages chucked in. I'm going to say that, because I just think it is... I'm, I'm right in saying that, Paul. I'm not talking, trying to make it drunken debauchery, but we're going to have some fun, right? Yeah, definitely, man. It's, it's a fine line to play. It's, it's not going to be a dry show. Bruce um, likes the odd uh, adult beverage. Hashtag it's Miller time. Um, every now and again so and I suppose these shows are best enjoyed in the spirit of uh, being with your friends in a bar um, as is their podcast so you know come along have a few beers not have a few beers your call but um, get ready for some laughs and not to take things too seriously London last night of the tour our spiritual home recordily on tap <laughs> 
We are not letting the last night go easily. Listen, it's not all about that. It's all about the uh, the stories that Bruce will be able to tell. It's all about the narratives we'll be able to weave. It's about the memories we'll be able to create because they're going to be so much fun. We're so excited about it. And like I said, SummerSlam not far on its heels. Other stuff in the works. Stay tuned always um, to Hooked on Wrestling, Hooked on Events on our social media. Paul will tell you how to follow that. Uh, you can join us on uh, facebook.com forward slash hook, uh, sorry, HO Wrestling or Twitter on HO underscore wrestling. Indeed. Uh, if, you're, if you're one of these young whippersnappers, you can also find us uh, at hooked underscore on underscore events on Instagram. But me and Rob, being old age dinosaurs, wouldn't know anything about that. Oh, Instagram, a bit about Instagram, Snapchat, however. I don't think we'll, we'll, you'll never see hooked on Snapchat. I don't think. But uh, as long as you don't see us on Tinder, that's the main thing. Well, maybe not as hooked on, but uh, <laughs> not, not promising anything else. Uh, and on this very unseemly way of ending the podcast, we will uh, we will wish you a um, a very fond farewell. And as we uh, as the sun sets on this particular episode of the Hooked On podcast, we welcome Tim Farron, the leader of the Liberal Democrats, as our new Prime Minister of Great Britain. Reminder, might need to edit here. Thanks for everyone for listening. This has been the Hooked On Podcast. And remember, even if I don't always, it's wrestling. Enjoy it! And we'll see you soon. <laughs>